Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Lord God, we, we are grateful that we can come before you. We can come before you, Lord, without fear. We can come before you without shame. We can come before you in confidence because of Jesus Christ. Lord, you loved us and you have lavished your love on us. You have lavished your grace on us, your mercy on us, your kindness on us. You have called us your own. And because of that, Lord, uh, we stand before you now righteous and blameless because because of the precious blood of Jesus, because of the cross and the empty grave. God, I pray that you would set our hearts and our minds on you this morning. Lord, that we would come to know you more fully and delight in you more richly. And God, that our lives would correctly represent who you are as God Almighty. It's your name we pray. Amen. It is always a pleasure to be with you guys. Uh, My name is Ryan Douglas. For those of you who don't know, uh, or for those of you who have forgotten, and uh, I've been friends with Mac for a number of years. I pastor a small church here in town. We meet Sunday evenings because we don't have a space of our own. And so that's why I get to fill in for Mac on Sunday mornings when he's gone. And uh, that has changed. Um, our, our church just took over the old Dove Creek Baptist Church building and uh, needs a lot of work. And, uh, and so the Contra Valley Baptist Association took it over, I think, in, in November, and they put a lot of work into it. But now we are, are in it and taking it over and putting a lot, of more, lot more work into it. We are hoping that we will ha- uh, be able to have the building finished and be able to start having services out there in September. But uh, they're just, yeah, there's a lot that still has to be done. And so my family, uh, we live here in town. We'll actually be selling our house and moving out there to the little parsonage once the bathrooms are fixed and the kitchen works and stuff like that. And, uh, and so we're really excited to be out there and, and do ministry out there. It'll be the first time in nine years that our, our congregation has had a building. We've always said that uh, we wouldn't go into to debt for a building, so to be given a building kind of satisfies that requirement. And, uh, and, and we are very excited about it. Uh, we'd love for, we're gonna be working out there as a, as a rule, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, and Thursday every week, we all have other jobs. We're all bivocational guys. And so uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday every week, we'll be working out there. If something brings you by Dove Creek and you see our vehicles out front, come on in, take a look at the building, say hello to us. We'd love to have you. Uh, unsweet tea, please, uh, for me. And, uh, and Dr. Pepper for the other two guys. But anyway, no, you don't have to do that. Uh, but <clears throat> yeah, it's a busy season. You can pray for us all. Uh, our other pastor, Micah, he uh, is getting ready to start summer camps and travel and preach at summer camps here in about three weeks. And I uh, make a living as an artist. I'm a painter. And uh, so right now we're kind of splitting our time. He's working and preparing for summer camps. Three days a week we're working out there. Three days a week we're working at our other jobs and then Sundays we're preaching. And so right now it's just that season where we're working seven days a week and we're tired. And so pray for us, pray for our strength and uh, pray that uh, we're trying to, uh, we, we both have families and kids, and so we're kind of shutting everything down about 5.30 in the evening so we can be home. Uh, but it's uh, just busy days right now. We've got a lot going on, so if you think about us at all, pray for us. Just pray for energy and strength and for God to be glorified in the work that we're doing. The thing that makes me a little bit sad, I've been, since Mac called me a couple of weeks ago and asked me if I would, I would preach, 
is that this might be the last time I get to preach for you guys because, like I said, we'll be moving to Sunday morning services. And so uh, that kind of disappoints me a little bit because I like hanging out with you guys. So since there's two other pastors, if Matt calls, I might just have to say, hey, you guys are preaching that Sunday so I can come hang with you guys again. But uh, anyhow, um, I've been praying a lot. Like if this is the last time I get to see you, right, and talk to you, what do I, what do I leave you with? Um, what do I share with you that can encourage you and stir you up? And uh, I know that Mac loves the Lord. I know that he is teaching you, but he's asked me to come in and teach this week. And, uh, and so I'm, I, I bear that weight and I've been thinking a lot about it. So this is gonna feel uh, very discombobulated. I'm gonna go ahead and just tell you right now, it will probably be easier for you to not follow along in your Bible um, and just take some notes if you're a note person or if you want to remember it later. Uh, let me start with this. What we believe directly dictates how we behave. That feels like a fairly commonsensical kind of statement. What we believe directly dictates how we behave, right? And, and so those of us who have come to put faith in Jesus Christ, it's because somewhere in our journey, we came to the place where we believed that we were sinners, we believed that there was a God in heaven who loved us, we believed that he sent his son Jesus to die for us, to remove our sins, and to make us righteous and redeem us. We believed that he was laid in a borrowed tomb, we believed that the tomb was empty, as he was raised from the dead in power, that he ascended into heaven and that he's coming back one day. We believe those things, right? And we say, when people say, oh, are you religious or whatever they ask or what's your religion? We say, man, I'm a Christian. And when we say that, it's because we believe those things that I've just mentioned, right? Sadly, sadly, for many Christians, that's where it stops. And I want you to ponder for a moment that if God is infinite, and he is in fact, and we just sang that actually, if God is infinite, then whatever you and I presently know of God pales in, in comparison to what can be known of God. Does that make sense? I, I would hope that you and I would always be hungry for more, that we would wake up each morning saying, God, I want more, I want more, I want more, because you will never exhaust him. You will never wear him out, you will never know him all or wrap your mind around it all until you see him face to face one day. First Peter chapter one, beginning in verse 13 says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober in spirit, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you on the day Christ Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the patterns that were yours in your lust and your former ignorance of God, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, for it is written, be holy, because I, the Lord God, am holy. Gird up your minds, strengthen your minds, get your minds ready, focus on God, think on the return of Christ, and let that be something that drives your conduct, is what Peter is saying. Paul says it differently. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12. You're familiar with the verses. In 20 years of traveling and doing itinerant ministry, there was at least one or two youth events every year where the theme was Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns that were yours in your former ignorance. Sorry, that's First Peter again. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Ephesians chapter four, Paul says it this way, 22 through 24. Paul says, put off the old self, which is growing corrupt according to the deceitful lust of the flesh. Be renewed in your mind and put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, righteous and holy. In Colossians chapter three, Paul says it this way. He says, set your mind on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of the earth. Think differently. Let our, let our minds ponder more who God is, more the power of God. Have you ever, have you, you have. If you've been around church for any length of time, you have met the Christian, you've met the person who you look at and provided they're not a chameleon, provided they're not a deceiver, you, you've met the Christian who, who seemed to have boundless joy in God. You know what I mean? They just seem to always have a direct line. They're the person that whenever you get together for a lunch or something, everybody looks to them to pray because everybody jokingly says, uh, he'll hear your prayers. He listens to you. You know that person that I'm talking about? Somebody like that in your life that you've met, that you've seen, that they just seem to have something different about them. And what I want to let you know is it's not that they are more Christian than you. It's just that they have come to learn something of God that maybe you and I haven't yet. It's not that they're special. It's not that they're more powerful. It's just that they believe something more about God that maybe you and I haven't quite learned yet. I love just that God does this. One of my texts this morning also is James chapter one, which was just read for us a moment ago. You remember what it said, beginning in chapter one, verse two, right? Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work, making you mature and complete so that you lack nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. He will receive nothing from the Lord. Consider a pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. What we believe, what we believe to be true dictates how we live our lives. Acts chapter 16, right? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas in prison. You know the story. If you don't, you're about to. Paul and Silas in prison, having been beaten and chained to the wall, multiple choice, are they in prison grumbling? Or are they in prison worshiping the God of creation? They're worshiping. 
I would argue that it takes way less than being beaten wrongfully and imprisoned for us to grumble. You know what the difference is? Paul and Silas found their joy in God and we tend to find our joy in our circumstances. Let's flip it for a minute. How many of you know, don't raise your hands. (laughs) Please don't, right? Don't do one of these things. How many of you know the Christian that never seems to quit grumbling? No pointing. No, none of this, okay? But we've met those people, perhaps we've been those people. Why? Why do we grumble? We grumble because we find, we find our worth in this world, in these circumstances, in these, uh, in these situations. We somehow have come to the place where we believe that what we are doing right now is the thing that matters most. And it's not. What matters most is there is a holy God who sits on his throne in heaven. What matters most is that there is a God who, while we were yet sinners, Romans 5 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is a God in heaven who loves us and lavishes his mercy on us. There is a God in heaven who says, be righteous, and we could not be, and he made us righteous through his son. And now because we are righteous, we stand before him in confidence, without blame, without blemish, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That's what matters. And whatever my circumstance may be tomorrow, that will not be undone. Whatever thing I have tomorrow or don't have tomorrow, it will not change even a little bit of who I am before God. And if I believe that, and if my confidence is found in that, and if my joy is found in that, then when I wake up tomorrow, regardless of my circumstances, I still have joy. I have a friend who, uh, many years ago, he's, he's passed away now, but he, he got cancer in his lymph nodes. It ended up finally moving into his, his uh, brain. And it was in his throat, and it was just ravaging his body. And shortly before he died, uh, he sent emails. He couldn't speak anymore because the cancer had closed off most of his throat. And, uh, and he sent emails to about five of us pastors To the three pastors who were going to be doing his funeral, he said this. He said, hey, just remember at my funeral that God is still God. He goes, don't moan, don't grieve, rejoice. He goes, because I'll be face to face with my creator. And he said, miss me if you have to, but make my funeral a proclamation of Jesus. I was recently with another gentleman who was about to die. We were talking about a salvation. I wasn't quite sure if he knew the Lord. He insisted that he did. We were talking about a salvation, and I said, man, based on his proclamation that he was about to meet Jesus, or that he was about to die, and that he knew Jesus, I said, man, you're about to see Jesus face to face. And his statement to me was, I don't care. His statement was, you guys, my family, he said, only has to deal with the loss of me. He goes, I lose everything when I die. I said, no, 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 you gain everything. No, he said, I don't. Where was his confidence? In this world, in this place that we have. It wasn't in Christ, was it? 
Do you remember, uh, maybe you don't, so let me just tell it. I don't want to make you feel embarrassed if you don't remember things, it's okay. Um, There's a story in Matthew 9 of a woman who's had an issue of blood. She's been bleeding for 12 years. And she can't get better. The Bible says that she's been seeing doctors. She spent all of her money on physicians. And instead of getting better, she's actually gotten worse. And then Jesus is coming through the town. And the woman says in Matthew 9 to herself, it's implied in the Greek language that she keeps saying it to herself. If I just touch his robe, I'll be healed. If I just touch his robe, I'll be healed. If I just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And she presses through the crowd and she touches him and power goes out from Jesus and immediately heals her. Jesus stops and he says, who is it that touched me? And Peter says, what do you mean, Lord? Who is it who touched you? The crowd presses in on you from all sides. And he says, yes, but power went out from me. So here this woman, she comes from the crowd. She realizes she's been caught, right? And she says, it was me. And he says, daughter, go your way. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you, another translation says. She presses through the crowd saying to herself, if I just touch him, I'll be healed. If I just touch him, I'll be healed. I want you to think about something for a moment. I'm going to be a little nitpicky. But she does not say, if I just touch him, I'll feel better. She says, if I just touch him, I'll be whole. I have a point, I promise. Bear with me for just a moment. I'm going to talk about Facebook, okay? Some of you are like, man, I don't do Facebook. And after this story, you're gonna be like, and that's why I don't do Facebook. Okay, reserve that, keep that, put that aside for something else, okay? Be indignant about something other than Facebook. But hold on. I see these posts, and those of you who are on Facebook have either seen them or now you will, and it'll really irritate you, and you're welcome. (laughs) I see these posts from time to time. I just saw one a few weeks ago, and it said this. Happy 13 years to my spouse. Happy anniversary to my spouse of 13 years. Most of them have been shaky at best. Some of them have been way worse than that. But by God's grace, we've made it this far. Here's to another 13. Does that sound like God's grace? No. Think about it for a minute. We're saying that God's grace is so powerful it can redeem my soul from hell, but the best it can do is give me a mediocre marriage. That's not God's grace in your marriage. I know secular marriages that look better than that. But we would say, <laughs> there is another one that I saw where a lady posted a picture. Uh, she said, date night. It was her and her husband. She said, date night. She goes, this morning I was ready to throw him out of the house. But here we are having date night, trying to make it work again for the hundredth time in 12 years. By God's good grace, maybe we can make it another 12. And I'm thinking, man, that is not God's grace. Think about it for a moment. Think about John chapter three, where Peter and James, Peter and John rather, are are walking uh, up to the beautiful gate and there's a man who's been crippled from birth, about 40 years old. And he's begging for money because the only thing a cripple could do 2,000 years ago was be a beggar. And he's sitting there begging for money. 
And Peter fixes his eyes on him intently, and the man expects to receive some money, and Peter says, silver and gold I have not, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he takes hold of the man, and the man leaps to his feet, and his ankles are made strong, and the man begins to leap and to proclaim Jesus, and the crowd gathers around, and Peter stops him, and he says, don't be amazed as though we have done something to this man. It was by faith in Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead, that this man is able to walk. Think about that for a moment. Does anybody in here, don't raise your hands, but does anybody in here say, oh, that didn't really happen? No, 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 we believe it happened. We know it happened, right? We trust it. Not a single one of us in here doubts John chapter 11 where Jesus has the stone rolled away from Lazarus' tomb and speaks into the darkness and says, Lazarus, come out, and a man four days dead rises from the dead and walks out. Not one of us doubts that. And yet, I can't tell you how many Christian couples I know who say, yeah, but our marriage is just miserable. It's just, kind of, it's just who we are. It's just how it is. Why? That doesn't tell me that you're not a Christian. It tells me you're missing something vitally true about the beauty of God's grace. I remember being 20 years old and approaching a, a mentor of mine. He was in his 40s, probably close to my age now. And at 20 years old, I was uh, very addicted to pornography, and I approached him and I said, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm tired of this. I want to be done with this. And I'll never forget what my mentor said. He looked me in the face and he goes, oh, you'll never be done with it. He goes, you're a man. He goes, you'll never be able to overcome it. It's just our battle we have to bear. And I remember thinking right then, that can't be true. God has to be bigger than my sin. He has to be, doesn't he? And yet, what do we do? We justify our sin and we say stuff like, well, I'm only human. Or we love the personality test more than the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, the personality test says I'm this way, so this is who I am. And we put more stock in that than we do the Holy Spirit that's alive inside of you. Ephesians 1.13 says that we who have put faith in Jesus have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says that if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit of God alive inside you. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 10 says that the Holy Spirit knows and understands the deep things of God. John 16.13 says that the Holy Spirit's job is to guide us into all truth. We, according to, give me a second, Galatians chapter 5 says that we who have life by the Spirit should now walk by the Spirit. We have been given the Spirit to guide us into the life of God, to empower us with the truth of God, to reveal to us the nature of God, and to unfold God's magnificent grace in us. And we walk around saying, yeah, but I'm only human, but we're not only human. The God who spoke and the world existed now dwells in us with power. And we walk around and say, thank you for saving my life so that I can be in heaven while the rest of my life falls apart. There's a disconnect. Your marriage can be beautiful. Your life can be whole. Please don't hear me preaching health and wealth. You will still get sick. At some point, we die. Sometimes we'll have plenty and sometimes we'll have nothing. 
Philippians 4.13, which says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, has nothing to do with finals or work projects, has nothing to do with gymnastics. But you know what it has to do with? Philippians 4, if you read 10 through 12, Paul says, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. He's been poor, he's been rich, he's been hungry, he's been well-fed, he's been naked, he's been clothed. But why is it that Paul can be content in all circumstances? Why is it that Paul can say in Philippians chapter one, he said, when he says, to die is gain. To die is gain. How is it that Paul can say in Philippians chapter one, verse 20, that it is his eager expectation and hope that Christ will be glorified in his body, whether by life or by death? How is it that Paul can do that? How is it that Paul can say at the end of Acts, when he's on his way to Jerusalem and the prophet takes his belt and ties his wrist up and says, the man who owns this belt will be bound in this way, and if you go to Jerusalem, you'll die, and Paul says, I am ready to face death for the sake of Jesus. How? How can he do that? Because he believes deeply the truth of God. He's not just believing God for redemption from hell and rescue from sin. He's believing God for everything. I'm not saying your heart won't be broken. I'm not saying you won't lose the loved one in your life. I'm not saying, but listen to me. What we believe dictates how we behave. I love my wife and I love my boys very, very much and if they were taken from me tomorrow, it would break my heart. But what I believe about God and what I believe about who I am in God wouldn't shift at all. We say God is good when we get the promotion or when we get the job that we were praying for or when we don't run out of gas on our way to the gas station when the tank's been on empty for 20 miles. But the truth is that God isn't good because of those circumstances. God is good because it is who he is. And God is good when you run out of gas and God is good when you get fired and God is good when you don't get the job and God is good when the person you love still dies. Because his goodness doesn't depend upon our circumstances, his goodness depends upon his character. And what we believe about God shapes how we behave. You have to know that that's true. You've seen it. My marriage is good not because I am good. My marriage is good not because Michelle is good, though she really is. My marriage is good because by God's good grace. Did you know that marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ and his bride, the church? then don't you imagine that the grace of God is big enough to make your marriage the picture of Christ and his church? Don't you believe that? Like the woman with the issue of blood? Here's what we tend to do. I'm going to the marriage conference so that maybe my marriage can be better. No, no, no. Come to God so your marriage can be whole. Come to God and understand, listen, the reason that we don't forgive people is because we don't fully understand how richly God has forgiven us. If we understood how fully we had been forgiven, there would be no one we'd be able to hold a grudge against. 
If we understood how deeply God loved us, there would be no one that we could withhold love from. Some of you as believers in here are so ashamed and so embarrassed and so small. And you feel this weight of, I'm just not good enough. God has made you good. God has made you righteous. God has made you holy. It hasn't ever depended upon you. It has always depended upon the work of God. He loves you. He adores you. If you're in Christ, he's fully pleased with you. He calls you righteous. He calls you holy. He calls you beloved. He calls you chosen one. He calls you saint. When we believe that, truly believe it, we wake up feeling uncondemned, maybe for the first time in our lives. There are a hundred things that I wish I could tell you. And I'll do what I did last time I was here and the time before that. You will never find a time that I don't want to talk about the scripture and about who God is. And so if you ever want to talk, let's talk. Because I don't have time right now to give you the hundred things that are in my head. But I want you leaving from this place today knowing this. And God is bigger than you imagine him to be. And even if you imagine him to be really, really big, he's bigger still. We can't comprehend infinite. We try to. We make the little sideways eight, you know, and stuff. But we can't comprehend infinite. However much, think about it like this. However much of God you have come to know and enjoy, there's at least double that. Whatever manifestations of grace you've seen in your life, there's at least double that. Whatever power of God you have realized in your life that has enabled you to overcome sin, there's at least double that. Whatever joy you have come to know in God, whatever peace you have experienced, there's at least double that. Know him more. My prayer for you is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. My prayer for you is that the eyes of your heart would be opened, that you would come to know what is the love of God. That you would come to know and to delight in the treasure of God and his power and his beauty that never again would you have to say, I'm only human, to excuse some behavior of yours that seems to come up again and again, but you would say, by God's good grace, I am not only human, I am sealed by the Holy Spirit, washed by the blood of Jesus, called child of the living God who sits upon the throne. There's more. There's more. And it's better than you think, even if you already think it's really amazing. There's more to be had. And until we draw our last breath, may that be what we're after, more of God. More please God, more please God, more please God. Until my life looks like yours. Let's pray. We're gonna have
just a time here where you can respond. There will be a couple of men from your church here on either side. I'll be here if you want to talk to me. But guys, whatever sin we've justified, whatever heartache in our marriages we've allowed, whatever relationships we've left undone, let us recognize, let us recognize this morning that God is bigger than that. Let us this morning say, God, we want more. Let us this morning fix our eyes on the return of Christ. Let us this morning set our mind on the things that are above in heaven. Let us this morning renew our minds. Let us this morning say, God, make my mind set on you. Let us this morning put all of our hope in God. Let us this morning not be the unstable, double-minded person who asks God for more wisdom, but let us believe without doubting and see the blessing of God as he lavishes wisdom into our lives. Holy Father, this morning, I still want more. I want to know you. Not just for salvation, not just for my marriage, but for every aspect. God, there must be a hundred things in my life that I still don't have confidence in you yet for, that I need to put all of my hope in and all of my joy in you. There must be a hundred things yet in my life that don't look like Jesus. God, I want more. I want more. And until I draw my last breath, I will always want more of you. And then I will open my eyes in life again, finally having you. Lord, more. More for my boys, more for my marriage, more for my ministry, more for my work, more for my relationships, more of your grace, more of your mercy, more of your kindness, God, more. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glenmeadows Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.